Good morning. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. You just tell us in your word, Lord, that we can that we can call upon you. And we're if we're gathered in your name, that you will be in the midst of us, Lord. And, and so we, we are gathered in your name, and we trust your word to do what it says. And so, Father, we pray, God, that as we turn now, begin a section on parables, that you would take those things that are hidden and make them known to us. We pray, God, by your Spirit, that you would count us among the disciples, and that for us is to be given to know the, the things of heaven, the secret things. And we know, God, that that's not by the wisdom of the teacher, but by the, uh, the gift of your Spirit. As we pray where there are weeds and rocks, Lord, that you will weed those out of us, root those out of us, Lord, and that you may grow in us a great harvest. We are praying, Father, for you to be our, come be our teacher. And when that happens, Lord, we'll be quick to give you the praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we are starting back in Matthew. Thanks be to God. And we're uh, starting with the parables, chapter 13. Uh, so chapter 13 is sort of famous in Matthew for having the, these parables. So it's sort of like Luke 15, which has the parable of the prodigal son uh, and two other parables. Uh, Matthew 13, Matthew has, has just made it chock full of parables. Let me ask you something. How do you like parables? I like the ones that are easy to understand. You like the ones that are easy? Which one is that? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll let you know when I figure that out. Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. So, I don't know, if you ever read one of the, a, a book, a sort of a child's book of magic, like a like the Narnia series or the Harry Potter series, you'll find that in those series there are things, several things, where the inside is bigger than the outside. In Harry Potter, the room of requirement. If you walk in, they, it's just this little little broom closet, but if you walk in, it's, it's, it actually becomes this giant, uh, this sort of cathedral-type storage area. If you go in the uh, shed in, in the last book of uh, the Narnia series, that uh, opens up into the new heaven and, um, and the new earth, so, or the new Narnia, I guess I should say. But the, uh, but when, so the things are on, the, on the inside are bigger than the outside, and the parables often work just like that. You think they're about weeds, or they're about business dealings or they have you know they have it seem to have on the surface a pretty straightforward message but you open that door and walk in and it is uh, much bigger inside they just seem to often just to kind of go on forever uh, as as Josh sort of indicated some are well loved and uh, it's fairly easy to imagine I think the prodigal son is, is one like that uh, but some are incredibly obscure and, and actually some that seem fairly Straightforward. The further we chew on them, the more obscure they seem. So, um, if if you think that parables are just a teaching device in order that Jesus used in order to make things crystal clear, uh, they will be incredibly frustrating to you, or you will miss ninety-nine percent of what they have to offer you. Now, when I give like a, a sermon illustration. You know, I'm, I'm or, 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 well, like this illustration right now. I am, um, any, anytime I'm giving a teaching or a sermon and I, and I give an illustration, the point is to, to take a 
concept that might be theologically complex and to make it really applicable, give it legs, so to speak, just uh, put flesh on it so we can really comprehend it. If we approach parables like that, it is going to be frustrating. They're not simply sermon illustrations. Um, They're intended to make us wrestle with the ideas. They're not just intended to simplify. Um, One of the great resources that I've ever found on parables, and I use it, we actually had a series about five years ago on the parables, and I showed you this book if you were in that, but it's called Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment. It's by Robert Farrar Capon. Robert Capon was a, he's a deceased now, but he was an Episcopal priest and a master chef and, a, and some sort of great writer, just very accessible, very smart uh, as well. And I want to read to you what he has to say about parables. This is just early on in his book, uh, page 7, actually. He says, In resorting so often to parables, Jesus' main point was that any understanding of the kingdom of his hearers could come up with... Oh, sorry. His main point was that any understanding of the kingdom that his hearers could come up with would be a misunderstanding. Mention Messiah to them, and they would picture a king on horseback, not a carpenter on a cross. You mentioned forgiveness, and they would start setting up rules about when it ran out. (laughs) From Jesus' point of view, the sooner their misguided minds had the props knocked from under them, the better. After all of their yammer about how God should or should not run his own operation, Getting them just to stand there with their eyes popped and their mouths shut would be a giant step forward. (laughs) Some of you are giggling and some of you are going, wait a second, because he's talking about me. Uh, And so if you leave a parable going, wait, what? You might be on the right track. Think about how, I mean, think about the the parable of the uh, dishonest steward. You know that, remember that one where, where the, the guy actually gets praised and lifted up for doing his boss wrong and giving discounts to, to all the, like, kind of wild. Like, we just, you know, we, we often say we should leave going, what? A parable should upend us. Uh, you should not leave a parable thinking, oh yeah, that's just what I always thought. You know, if that is the case then go back again. There's more to it. So we have uh, the very first parable, and in fact, it's interesting. The, the, it's the first parable in all three of the synoptic gospels. Now, remind me again, what's the synoptic gospel? Which ones are the synoptics? Pardon me? They all they follow Mark, but which ones? Matthew, Mark, and and Luke. Right, John is sort of tells it from his own perspective. So the synoptics mean that they um, that they are uh, that's with one eye, basically, is what that means. Um, and so they see it from a similar perspective, sort of from uh, from the ground up. And, and John sort of looks at it from heaven down. Sort of, as one of my professors said once, that Jesus hardly touches the ground in John. But, um, but, uh, but the synoptics see, uh, and, and as Kay alluded to, 
uh, is widely thought that Matthew and Luke used Mark and another source called Q, which no one ever found, uh, in order to um, in order to write their own their gospels. But um, so there's the synoptics, and, and and all three of the synoptics. So that should be, if you think about the parables, they they're often just in one or maybe two, but this one's in all three, and it's always the first, and it's always told. Here's the parable, here's why I'm telling parables, and here's what this parable means. So that's actually really, really significant for us. And so I actually want to uh, spend the first part of our class talking about the middle portion, beginning with verse 10, uh, because that's where he tells us what the, the parables, parables, the purpose of the parables are. So he, he tells the parable, a sower went out to sow, right? And then he, uh, and then he goes in for lunch break. And his uh, and his, uh, his his disciples say, um, "Wait a second, why why are you speaking to them in parables?" Right. So so Jesus answers them, "To you, that is to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven." So I'm praying. I pray that God would give us that that grace. To you, the disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the heaven, but but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, and here's, here's the prophetic fulfillment, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus then speaks again to his disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So that is um, problematic, isn't it? What's the problem with it? What are, what are some of the... I mean, I don't know. You can tell me what... Maybe you don't see it as problematic. What, uh, what, 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 is, what does it seem to be saying? It's like they're being exclusive. He's exclusive with the disciples, but he's kind of leaving the, everybody else kind of out of yeah, the Yeah, so some, some seem to be getting it by divine intention and some not. Right, that's sort of what it looks like. That fair, a fair assessment of what you just said. Maybe the twelve, in this case, but hopefully we would like to think anyway that we as disciples are included in this group. We would like to think that anyway. Certainly, we're going to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in our own interpretation. Right. What else? Kind of leads to the thought of predestination. It does. It does. Which I think Saint Paul would be okay with. <laughs> the, the part that, that gives me trouble is the, for the one who has more will be given the one and he will have an abundance but the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and in this context he's talking it seems about either faith or understanding or, or some combination thereof and so it's like if you only understand what I'm saying a little bit then I'm going to take that away from you rather than give you more so it's like if, if you understand a lot you'll get a lot but if you only understand a little eh 
They're out in the cold. Yeah, that's right, Josh. And um, and and so I don't. Paul is listening online. I don't know if you can hear what Josh said. He said the part that gives him the hardest is the part that says, "If you have a lot, I'm going to give you even more, and if you only have a little bit, I'm taking it away," which seems uh, sort of the opposite of the graciousness that we would expect from Jesus. We would expect maybe the ones who have a lot, they get what they already have, and the or they're invited to share with what they have, you know, something, you know, but, but not take it away. It does seem a little unjust in, in that sense. Those are great questions. These are the questions we ought to be asking in parables. Yes? Who is the them? Who is the who them? Who is the them? Yeah, well, that's a great question, too. Is it just, is it people who don't believe? Is it the Gentiles? Is it the people in the audience? Is it everybody outside the 12? It, that's a good question. It's a good question. What do you think? That's why I asked you. That's why I asked the <laughs> <laughs> Smart lady. Smart lady. Well, I think, I think one of the important lines in, in that is the heart has grown dull. That says a lot to me. Yes, Katie you know, said that with a dull heart, you're not going to hear or see anything. That's right. That's right. The heart has grown dull. That's that's Isaiah's prophecy, and Jesus is drawing on that. So Matthew says, "I speak to them in parables." This is verse thirteen. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So in a sense, I'm speaking to them like this because they don't get it. Anyway, right. I'm going to come back around. Mark and Luke both have a slightly different language, and it's much more problematic than even Matthew. He says, I speak to them in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they do not understand. So it sounds causal, like I am actually doing it so that they will not understand. Right? That's what it sounds like. And we're left scratching our head and going, let's just go keep reading and find some better news, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're thinking. So um, there's lots of ways to kind of think about that. But since we want to really spend some time with the, with the parable itself, I, I don't want to go through all the different possibilities. But here's, here's what I think is going on. Jesus did say this. I mean, the one, one option would be that Jesus didn't actually say that. Um, but he said it, and it's a good translation. The, the authors didn't mess it up. The, uh, the, the transcribers after them didn't mess it up. But it doesn't mean to us what it would have meant to Jesus' audience due to idiomatic tendency. So the Hebrews, and of course I'm not making this up. Like I got this from people who know about the Hebrews, right? They tend to state consequence as purpose. And here's what I mean by that. I might say, I dropped the bottle so that it smashed into pieces. Now, I didn't intentionally smash the bottle, but I, but I dropped it in such a way that the result was that it smashed into pieces. It, and that sounds sort of British, doesn't it? I dropped the bottle so that it smashed into pieces. And, um, and, right. And, and, and so what they mean by so that, we would say with the result that. I dropped the bottle with the result that it smashed into pieces. And, and so Luke would say, for others, they are in parables, but the result is still that no matter how hard I try, seeing that they do not see and hearing they don't understand. So in, in other words, what Jesus is saying is that 
I'm speaking to there, there is a sense in which I'm trying to help them understand. It's not a sermon illustration per se. They're going to have to chew on it. But I am, and, and this is why I think the sower is actually so important as the first one. We're going to get to that. But it indicates that the, the understanding is not simply intellectual, it's spiritual. The meaning is, is more truly and completely grasped by faith than by reason. Doesn't matter how low the fruit is hanging, there is, there is a very real element and a, and a pervasive element that what's important is the faith of the hearer. So, the parables work like the scattered seed. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to remind me to come back to that point, okay? So, let's get to the, um, let's, any questions about that before we, we get there? The, the, parable, the purpose of the parables is to work like the scattered seed. So we're going to come back to that. But that's, it's, he's, he's basically what he's doing is planting a seed that will grow in their hearts. Okay? So this is the watershed. This is, this is there was a huge, there seems to be a big shift for Jesus in how he, uh, how he expresses himself. Remember, we're still in the section where Matthew is making the case. So this is part of, um, we hadn't quite gotten to Peter's confession that you are the Christ. It's coming uh, probably before August. And, um, and then, uh, but, not, but not definitely. And, um, and then, uh, and so it, it was, um, so he's still, he's still moving towards the, the apex of the proof. But there seems in this case to be a shift in how Jesus expresses himself or even maybe thinks of himself. Um, if, you, if you watched Seinfeld, and I know, I'm sorry, I, I referenced Seinfeld last week, and so I don't mean to be burning you out on that, but there's, the very early Seinfelds, they're not that good. I mean, they were, they, were, they were probably good in terms of just a regular sitcom, just sort of silly slapstick. They basically had one silly storyline, and that was it. And you were just left going, what is this? And it was a show about nothing, and that really was good. But one time, and I don't know how, I don't know how they did this, but they, they decided to have two storylines going. And they, and they had this, Jerry's in a fight with one guy over here, and George back and forth is in a fight with this other guy over here. But at the end of the thing, the two guys meet and and. Jerry's guy and George's guy fight each other. And it's hysterical. And that was the first time they had taken two storylines and married them together. And they were like, the producers were like, that was incredible. Let's do that again. And that is sort of this moment for Jesus in the parables. Whoa, that was incredible. Let's do that again. This whole uh, shift in the way that Jesus... Um, offers himself and offers his teaching uh, to the people. It has been given to them because they don't get it. And so we're going to plant some seeds that will just germinate and grow uh, over time. He, this is the first parable. He has spoken parabolically. Matthew 6. Consider the lilies of the field. If God cares so much for them, how much more for you? There's a sense of it's sort of a metaphor, 
uh, a little bit of, I can, I can ponder the lilies, I can think about them. This, it's sort of parabolic. Uh, Matthew 8, Jesus calms the storm. Well, that's not telling a story, but it's, I mean, it's almost always taught or interpreted parabolically. Jesus calms the storm in your life, right? Jesus calms the storm between you and God. But this is where Jesus gives a story that has another meaning or another, it's like an onion, levels and layers of, of meaning. In this story, he just tells it and walks off. He doesn't even say that the kingdom of God is like. He just, like, he's sitting in the boat, and he just starts talking about this random farmer, and then he goes in for lunch. Like, it's just, he just doesn't even say what it's about. But it seems to be uh, this, uh, that the disciples were like, wait a second, that was, I, I don't think you were just talking about a farmer. Um. And, and so it seems to be a development in how Jesus thought about his own teaching in the human sense of himself, not in the divine sense, right? The divine is never in question. But there's, there's development in his own mind about his understanding. So what, what we want to look for, we're going to read the parable, and I'm going to ask you about it, and then we're going to uh, read the explanation. But what is the notion that is being challenged or in fact, what is the notion that is Jesus is intentionally offending? Okay? So that's what we want to look at. Back to uh, verse 1. Same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. Whole crowds stood on the beach. This is, y'all, this is every preacher's dream. It's right how it's supposed to be. It's in the Bible. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I've always wondered, was that like a, was that a, was that a pun? You know, grains, ears of grain, whoever has ears. I don't know. World's first dad joke. It was the world's first dad joke. It was a son joke. So I don't don't know. Uh. It's like Dr. Stanley says, watch this. Yeah, watch this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So what what, you read this, like you've heard this plenty of times before, more than likely. This is not your first time hearing this. What is, what do you make of it? Yes, Jane. Satan hates the word. He's always after the word. It's been so in our heart. Okay. The more you speak the word, continue to build on that, it's harder, in my opinion, for him to do as much damage. Okay. Could you repeat that? She said, Satan hates the word, always wants to snatch the word away. The more we build on it, the harder it is for him to take away. Okay. Fine, a fine explanation. What else? What's in here? Yes? I've always thought of the birds as the commission to go out and spread the word because the seeds don't die. They get spread about also. 
Interesting. Okay. I think you'd have, once he gets to the explanation, I think you're going to have a hard time defending that. But I don't, I don't disagree with, I don't disagree with the concept. I really like the concept. Um, but it seems to be that they're messengers of Satan snatching the word away. But nevertheless, I do love the idea that the seed doesn't die. Because actually, you were going to see that the seed is indestructible. And, uh, and I love that. So, um, so perhaps, um, you know, okay, I'm just going to say it. So perhaps if it just lands in a pile of poop somewhere, it's going to, it's going to end up being great, right? Fantastic. It's, it is hopeful. That's right. By golly. All right, keep going. One more. Everybody's not gonna. Everybody's not gonna respond the same way. Everybody is not gonna. It seems like there's four different types of people here, right? There's, I mean, that's what it seems like it's saying, yeah. and that it's not gonna. It's not gonna work out the same in every situation or with every. Um, yeah, the trick is how to, how to be the good soil. That, that's, I mean, I think that's, I think that's what you're trying to do. <laughs> that's what he's trying to turn upside down. That's what he's trying to turn upside down. Oh, yes. Everybody wants to be the good soil. And so what is going on? How is, it almost doesn't look like he is turning that upside down. All right. <laughs> so his disciples come to him on his lunch break and ask him what is up. Uh, they don't really seem to have any more clue about it than the folks that, that were standing by the seashore, so they ask him. So here is the explanation. After he tells them why he's spoken to them in parables, and, and so what, we're, what we hear actually, Jesus saying, I'm speaking to them in parables because they just don't get it. And actually Isaiah's words are fulfilled, that hearing they never understand, and so I'm trying to give them something that's going to germinate. Here's what he says. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, so a little less like concrete, you know, there's some cracks and fissures in it. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, and yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. When tribulations or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit, and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, a little less, 60, in another, a little less, 30. All right. So we get, in the purpose of the parables, further indication that just by being himself, Jesus is fulfilling the prophetic word, right? That he's teaching, and there is, there is this sense in which just by doing what he's naturally doing, he's fulfilling it, um, and, and yet, even after the explanation, it's unlikely that the 12 left going, oh, now I get it, right? Clear as a bell, now. Um, uh, and it's, it's actually hard, like you were saying, it's hard not to hear, be the good soil. I've taught it that way. I think I've preached it that way, but I've definitely taught it that way. Be the good soil. Don't be rocky. Don't have weeds. 
Isn't that how you would normally think of it? No, it tells me I got to keep at it. Got to keep at it. Got to keep at it. No, that's good. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you saw soil get the rocks and the weeds out of itself? No. Ah. <laughs> All right, so here's where the inside starts to feel a little bit bigger than the outside, right? Okay. Who's casting the seed? All of us. Okay. Today. All of us today. John said God. Maybe God through all of us, right? We are his hands. We are his hands and feet. God spreads the word. We spread the word. We're agents of God. It's God who cast the seed. Yeah, are we clear on that one? Like it's God's doing, even if we're agents of it. Is Jesus the sower? Is, is there any sense in which Jesus is casting the seed? We're pretty clear on God the Father. Jesus is the seed. Well, it says the Word is the seed. Okay. He is the Word. All right. But that's very Johannine. Um. God spreads the word. God is good. Here's the, here's the thing. If, if you were God and you were throwing around your word, whether it was your son himself or your scripture, wouldn't you be careful? Would you let it just go everywhere? Wouldn't you, just, wouldn't you put it where it's going to take root, where it's going to start to produce some fruit? Would you throw it on the rocky path? He's completely indiscriminate. Yes. So just think about it from a, you know, I, I, most of you probably know my wife's an environmental science teacher, so we do a lot of nature stuff. That's how soil changes, though, is if you have rocky soil and a plant takes root and the foot dies quickly because it's not there, then that's matter that can become future soil. And it does. The roots break up rocks. And as, you know... Is that in the footnotes? <laughs> in my, in my it's one of the odds. Yeah, it's in the, yeah. So from a biological perspective and ecological perspective, you know, as plants grow in an area, they change it. And so you're, you're right, the soil doesn't change itself, but that repeated planting will change it. So the more Christians who down the vine, the better. What's that? Yeah. So no, 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 no. But the word going into the soil, who is, well, I guess a plant is a Christian, so, but, you know, but uh, yeah, he's thinking. No, and I don't know that the plant is the Christian. The plant's the soil. I mean, I mean, no, no, the Christian is the soil. So the fruit of the plant is the, the result of the word and the soil. That's correct. Together. Bearing fruit. So if right. I'm the soil that's rocky and I get the word thrown at me again and again and again, and eventually, you know, the roots of the, the, the resulting plant break up the rocks and <coughs> decompose and become good soil or breaks down the path, or roots break up, break up the path, or... Now, I don't know about farming, and maybe you probably know more than I do, because by osmosis, you, you are married to a biologist, but I, I don't know that, um, that that would be the best way to, just by throwing seed around, would be the best way to make the soil better. I, I mean, it might happen. It might over, happen. over eons? Yeah. Eons, yeah, John. I think part of this is the fact that Okay. And it, the choice is you can do with the word what you want to do with it. You can either throw it away, but the devil will take it away from you. You can do, rejoice when you first get it, and then when something else comes along and you think it's better, you can take that. That's your free choice. 
Well, that's what I would like to think, John. I really, I think that is how I would naturally read it. And yet, when I look at my own life, I didn't choose the rocks and the weeds that were in there. And so, so to me, I would, I would love to say, choose to be the good soil. Uh, except that I've got rocks and weeds all, all up in myself. Sometimes I'm concrete like the path. So it almost seems like the soil, which is completely passive and does not tend itself, now we're treading on. Yikes. Do we have free will? Is, are we only in the farmer's hands? Now, I think you're right, because we do have agency. But actually, the one who has agency in this parable is not the soil, it's the sower. Right? So the soil needs the gardener to come and get the weeds out and to get the rocks out. The soil doesn't have free will. And even the best soil is inherently dirty, right? It's dirt. It is, it is. And so I, I think, the, again, the point is not that we're able to, we don't, we're not going to be able to tie it up in a neat bow. Yes, we have agency. Yes, we need to choose to work the weeds out and the rocks out. And yes, we need the gardener to come and do it. What's, what the people would have understood is really largely what we understand is we should be the good soil. And yet what Jesus is pointing us to, if we're honest with ourselves, the layers, the deeper layers of this parable, the part that's bigger on the inside than the outside, is that the heart, further we go into it, the more we realize that we have all the soil in our hearts. Mm-hmm. We have each one. We, every one of us can look at a time in our life or an area of our life where we have been the path. And no matter how hard, in retrospect, God was trying to get that word in there, we, it was kicked out. Every one of us can look at a time in our life or an area of our life where we had... Uh, we were overcome by the worries of the world or we uh, had our eyes blinded because of riches or because, or whatever it was. Like we can find ourselves in the rocky soil and in the weedy, thorny soil. And we can probably also find times in our life where there has, we've been the good soil and, thanks, and we, in retrospect, can't take any credit for that. We, all we can say is thanks be to God. None, none of us, if we really produce that great harvest is patting ourselves on the back for that, right? We're just saying, oh my gosh, thanks be to God. Sometimes it was 30, sometimes it was 60, sometimes it was 100. And that's all God. I can tell you, and I think I've told you this before, like a lot of times I, I walk into, a, into the pulpit going, if this is what you're going to use, God, then that's up to you, man, because this is not that good. It's not that good. And it usually like, that's what, that, I mean, usually... If the spirit falls, and I just I give the bones, and the spirit puts the flesh on it, and makes it alive. Like that is just what happens. I mean, like if I put the work in, and and I just and I've really I hadn't sloughed it off. I've really given it my best, and that's what it is. God's gonna use it. It's just up to Him as to how He does. And people come and say, like, that was so amazing. We talked about adoption in Africa. Like, I didn't talk about adoption in Africa in years. Like I don't, you know, like. That's just what the Lord, you know, got, got to the person, like whatever, whatever it is. Different people need to hear different things. That's right. In the same sermon. That's right. And they do. What I, my point is, is that it God is sowing the seed. 
That's, that's my point. It is God. So all I do is I say the words. Even now, I'm saying the words. God takes the words, translates them, plants His truth in your heart. And all of you are going to take different things away from this. But I, one other thing I hope you all take away is that we all have all the soil. That I don't think... You, you're free to interpret it how you want, but you at least understand that I, I, the way I interpret it is not that it's four types of people. Mm-hmm. It's four conditions of the human condition within, our, within each person. So, the seed, in every instance, the seed does its work. Right? Jesus is talking about the consequence again. It, it's just, here's what happens. The, this lavish father, this word, this father is prodigal with his, uh, this lavish, almost wastefulness with his word, throwing it indiscriminately to everywhere. That he, the seed is the, is the only thing is actually doing the work. This, the word does the work. So again, what is the word of God that, that is spread? The Bible, right? Is it the scriptures? Is it the expression, I mean, the Word of God is the, na- is the expression of the nature of God. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be uh, life, and there is life. There, that's, uh, his Word is His action. And of course, sometimes prophets speak better than they know. And Matthew is, get, would not have probably had the Johannine, the John understanding that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, and yet, God knows because He wrote it. And so there's a sense in which Jesus, the incarnate Word, is the thing that's germinating and sprouting uh, in our hearts. And it's easy to hear seed on the path and think they're hard-hearted. And it actually, you know, again, a new layer for me, it's, it's not that it says they don't care, it says they don't understand. Now I understand I said below uh, earlier that that was a, um, not just intellectual, but spiritual, but but it is up to, up to the teachers to make it as understandable as possible. And it's up to the Spirit to intervene uh, in that as well. There's, um, the Greek word that's used there for understand is, has this sense of coming together. This matching of the thing that is uh, perceived with human perception. This sort of this, this confluence of understanding. And... Um, and, and so, uh, what, what, he, what Jesus is saying is, they're, they're, they're not connecting. The seed is there, but they, they're, they're not getting it. Not pearls before swine. Pearl, well, I don't think this is pearls before swine. I mean, that's from um, Sermon on the Mount uh, that we, we taught. And I think I probably skipped over that pretty quick when we, <laughs> we went uh, through it. But it's, um, I, I think there it is... I mean, there probably is a connection there. That's, that's, that's probably inside. I'd have to give that a little bit more thought. Um, I have to give it a little bit more thought. But I, th- I do think that there is a sense where there, again, the, the Jesus is just, this is how it is. He's not, he's not condemning the unrighteous or the self-righteous as swine here. He's just saying that some people just, sometimes we just don't get it. And in fact, that's why we're continuing to throw, as John says, continuing, was it John? Continuing to throw out the word, and throw out the word, and throw out the word, so that. And in fact, like missionaries think, and this is, and I'm speaking with Cape on here, this is one of his points, that, that um, 
missionaries think, oh, I'm going to bring Jesus to these people. Like, like the word has been cast. We're here to help it, you know, pick the fruit, but, but it, the word is there already. Um, so I just think that, that there, and he says, a lot better, says that a lot better than I do. Um, so we have all lacked understanding. We've all fa- fallen away when tribulation arose. We've had the cares of the world choke out our faith. And we've seen the word take root in our faith. And we are left with the plea, Lord, please make us the good soil. Like tend, tend to us. Well, it's not just the Lord making the good soil, though. I mean, we can be baptized as babies, but unless we have parents that help us think about God and how much He loves us and how He provides for us. And unless we have other teachers in Sunday school that help us understand that even when we're having trouble in school, God is there with us and He will help us get through, it's going to remain that rocky, bad soil. And it's going to remain the soil that, that you just don't have the foundation to become the good soil. And I think it, all it those things work. really help, but I also know plenty of people, adults who came to faith and had none of that growing up, that the Spirit just finally was cast and, and took root. Yes, but it's harder. If Spirit blows where He wills. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not disagreeing. I think those, things, those are important, but, but I don't think, it's, I would hesitate to say we're dependent upon those things. You've got to have it in your heart, though. Well, that's because the seed has to be planted there. The seed has to be planted. But that's where we're the ones who cast, cast the word. Were you trying to say something about it? Well, I, it seems to me there's a real teaching about discipleship, too. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to be a disciple, you can't just be a disciple to people who are mostly the good side. Yeah. You've got to take the world as you find it, and you've really got to go into all of those conditions. Well, that's a great point. Um, Dad said that that we have to go to all we have to go to all people. We can't just spend our time on the good soil, which really is a great sort of segue to Beth's sermon uh, as well. Which wasn't that good? I mean, really, she did such a fantastic job. I was really proud of her. Um, and I I want to tell you this. I mean, not that you would think this, but that was that was a hundred percent her. Like I didn't I didn't have my Paul. I kind of wanted you know, but I, but uh, I didn't have my Paul's running at all. So at the very most, we are left partnering with the Spirit to remove the rocks and the weeds, both in ourselves and to cast the Word and to help uh, with others. Because again, I love what Josh said, casting the Word again and again, actually the Word grows up, it falls away, but it actually helps the soil eventually. So I love love that. That's a bit of great value in that. Uh, There is incredible value in looking after your own spiritual care. You should be having daily devotions. You should be reading the Word. You should be praying, serving, etc. But you could not even see the weeds in your heart if the Spirit didn't give you the eyes to see. Right. So. You said there was something you wanted to go back to. Oh, thank you very much. That would have been two minutes ago. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, the parables work like the seed, right? Because they, they begin... That's It's like the parables are the way that He's casting the... And they, they just have this tiny little thing that take root and grow in our hearts. And this, this, so the parables actually work like the seed he's talking about. Um, and 
And at first, they don't seem like much, but you know, like we're, the one we'll look at next week, the mustard seed, it turns into the great, this great bush. So we're going to take two more weeks on parables, and hopefully we can have seeds planted in our own hearts that begin to grow. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the, um, the middle third, and we'll get to the... Uh, through, through verse 43. And then the last week is the day after the election, so it may be fresh to all of us. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. But, um, but we'll be here. So we'll be here. That'll be the 15th. And then I'm not sure what we're doing after that, um, but we'll, we will take a look. Because I will be gone on the 20th, whatever that word was, 22nd. I'll be, um, I'll be gone that week. So. All right, friends. God bless you. Go to church if you haven't already been there. And... Um, and have a wonderful week. Let the seeds germinate. And hey, be the good soil. I was trying to do this. Theologically complex, and then what did you say going down? That the point of a sermon illustration is to make it understandable. But we take something really complex and try to simplify That's what a sermon illustration is. A parable, if we, if we think that's what a parable does, we're going to. Okay, gotcha. It's, it's multi dimensional, it's not dualistic, it's multi dimensional. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way to look at it.